Hi, good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining. This is Seeking Sustainability Live. I'm JJ Walsh in Hiroshima, and today I'm talking with Kokoro Travel and Peko Peko Box founder Axel Derube. Thank you so much for joining, Axel. Thank you very much. Thank you, Joy. Hi, thanks for joining today. I hope you enjoy this episode. If you want to learn more about the work that I do, check out inboundambassador.com. And you can also find me on buymeacoffee.com slash JJ Walsh to get some bonus information and insights from the series. It's so nice to have you here again as a follow-up because we did um, have a great discussion about nine months ago. And That's of course, yeah, this is a very Feels difficult like time for so many yeah. travel industry. So it's so nice to catch up after nine months. I'm sure it feels like a few years, maybe nine years ago for you, right? <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah. So many things happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So thanks for joining again. We're, we hope to catch up on how you've survived and some of your ideas during this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so for people who didn't watch the previous video, can you give us just a little introduction about you and the work you do? Uh, so my name is Axel. I've been living in Japan for 11 years. As you can tell, my voice is a little bit gone, so bear with me. Um, I've been running a travel-related uh, business uh, when there used to be travel in Japan uh, for four almost six years uh, called Kokoro Travel and then as the you know COVID-19 pandemic started we shifted our business model away from traveling as much as possible and instead of welcoming people to Japan which we couldn't do anymore we tried as much as we could to bring Japan to people uh, wherever they were in the world so in this case with the pickle pickle box and probably, I will tell you later, with new ideas that we have uh, that will come soon, we try to send Japanese um, items or Japanese experiences to the people around the world. Yeah, it's wonderful. Um, so the, the whole concept, tell me about the core values and the concept for not only Kokolo Travel, but also Co- uh, Peko Peko Box. What, what are the main concepts? Well, because these are two very different businesses, uh, it's kind of difficult to put the core concepts in the same uh, same thing. But I would say that what we try to do as much as we can is to be authentic. Um, we try to provide things that are 100% Japanese as much as we can, even though we, as you can tell, we are not 100% Japanese ourselves. Although we do have a Japanese uh, staff, uh, we try to be authentic. Yeah, I think authenticity is a very important, uh, very impos- important concept for us, and uh, and I think that's the one that rules it, rules it all. You know, there's so many diff- you know, so many businesses out there are trying to do things, but it's also very difficult to be authentic. So we try as much as we can to be authentic. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Um, I have your from your website your values here. So Peko Peko box items are yeah. carefully selected by us before being packed and shipped with love. We also avoid using plastic whenever possible. Yay! Whenever possible. Whenever possible. It's you know, it's hard. actually becoming more and it's more difficult. Hard. Yeah. Actually, the COVID nineteen, the big winner of the COVID nineteen crisis is the plastic. Oh, don't say that. It's so yeah. depressing. It is. It is a little bit. Yeah. 
yeah. Okay. Uh, so whenever possible, yes. We, we discussed yeah. this um, so many times. Um, if you have to choose between a locally made, high quality item that you're going to use and love for a long time or it's higher quality, but it's in plastic, you have to take it because that's the only option quite often in Japan, right? I think, yeah, I think it's also a matter of what, you know, it, like you say, it's about people's values. And um, I think over time, people start to realize the value that there is in non-plastic objects. And they are carefully selected and carefully uh, made as well and can last longer. Yeah. yeah. So I can give you an example, like, for example, with the Pickle Pickle box. <clears throat> in, the, in the next box that we're going to have, which is about the theme of the box is Asakusa in, uh, in Tokyo. And uh, we worked with a local brush produce, brush maker. He makes, well, they make brushes of all sorts, including toothbrushes. And for them as well, it's difficult to avoid plastic, but they kind of have to sometimes, you know, it's, it's not always possible to have 100% non-plasticky things. So they create a toothbrush made out of horse hair, which is totally natural. However, the handle of the brush has to be in plastic. There's no other way around. And it's just, uh, these days, if it was, if the toothbrush was 100% natural, they would reach a price point that I think would make it impossible for them to sell there. Now, as a part of what you do, um, do you also have a <clears throat> consulting aspect where you say, would it be too difficult to have a wooden handle or, you know, like, is it possible for you to very positively <clears throat> and very nicely make suggestions that might make it more sustainable? Sometimes we imply things, but you know, yeah. Are people willing to listen to you? Yeah, but mm -hmm. you, if you can plant the seed we of do. the idea, yeah, yeah, and do it in a <clears throat> soft pressure kind of way. I mean, we do, in a, we do it in a very simple way, which is very often when we have the choice in between two objects, we tell them, our clientele, our customers, will prefer this one because it's a more natural one, and that is the most efficient way because when they realize that they will not be able to sell the plasticky one then they're gonna say well over time I might stop producing the plastic one and focus more on the uh, more natural fiber ones yeah I think that's the best way yeah wooden, you vote with your money wooden handle uh, toothbrushes are becoming more popular abroad and yeah. most of them are now imported to Japan so you sometimes see them in shops it's just slowly slowly um, you also uh, introduced a lantern maker there. And it, this is extremely special, and really cool. this this was this was this one was a revelation revelation for us, <clears throat> because we're actually thinking of now creating a whole new business uh, on the side, because we realize that there are so many um, artisans, crafts people around Japan that are reaching an age at which they cannot really. I mean, they could, but I think they don't have the time to learn all the computers, uh, you know, computers and social media aspects of things. But they're very talented at what they do, and they don't want to bother with, you know, marketing themselves. So they, what I think that what they need, seriously, is a platform that helps them, you know, showcase their talent to the world, and hopefully, with a very clever system in place, 
take orders from outside of Japan. And that is something that we want to try to do because <clears throat> this particular lantern maker uh, is having a hard time with the COVID-19 crisis. And it has nothing to do with, uh, with traveling in this case. It has to do with events. So he's in Asakusa. And every year in Asakusa for lantern makers, there is, and there's, I think there's only three lantern makers there left, but it's a, there's a big event every year, and that's the Sanja Matsuri uh, in Asakusa. And they make so many lanterns at that time. And it's been, I think it was canceled last year. And they, I don't know what the situation is right now, but last time we saw the guy, he told us, we don't know it's gonna ha if it's going to happen this year. If it doesn't happen this year, it's going to be a tough year again for us. So we're trying as much as we can to help him by introducing what he does to new markets. Uh, so that would be like, have your own lantern at home. You know, these are kind of big lanterns. You know, it's not, I don't know what I can, how I can I'm, show you the size. I'm showing like, some from your website. Yeah, yeah they're oh, beautiful. Okay, beautiful. Well, it, he has different sizes, of course. I think the smallest one could be the, the size of my head. And then the biggest one, of course, which is gigantic, is the, whole, the, the size of my whole body, which is a meter and 80 centimeters or something like this. So he can do that, and it's very easy. And we could personalize the object, the item, by, you know, when we take the order, of course, he doesn't speak English, so we have to help him on this. But he tells, like the customer tell the name of, either their name or the name of their business, wherever they are in the world. And we try to find with Ateji, you know, the kanji, sort of, a, we try to find kanjis that match uh, their first name or their company name. And we show it to them, okay, this is how the lantern is going to look like. And he draws them. You know. It takes a lot of time. It took him like 30 years for him to learn how to draw on a lantern, which is very tricky. Because a lantern is very, it's not flat surface. It's got all these cavities everywhere. Yeah, rigid. So I yeah, assumed yeah. I assumed that they would write it when it's Before. flat know, and uh, then put fine. it on. But he's in the picture here. Yeah. He's holding a finished lantern. Yeah, yeah. And mm. and doing the calligraphy on it. Beautiful. But that is because he's not the one making the lanterns. That's that's how the process works. I think he told us these are produced, made in Mito, which is somewhere north of Tokyo. <clears throat> And then he receives the lanterns. And then from there, in his neighborhood, like all these lantern painters, I call him a lantern maker, but he's not a lantern maker. He's a lantern painter. In his neighborhood, he has all the connections to people who usually buy lanterns from him. Restaurants, uh, temples, businesses, uh, and, you know, Sanja Matsuri, so the Matsuri. And so he is in charge of taking the orders of how to personalize them. So that's our next idea, which would be to have a platform that allows all these very crafty people in Japan to be able to sell their craft, personalized items to customers around the world. It sounds perfect because it's nice and light and it would, in this be, case, yeah. it would be easy to send. Uh, yeah. Sending abroad is always an issue in terms of weight or size. Yep. Um, you do such a beautiful job with your gift boxes um, in having such a great selection, but I'm sure weight and size is always a consideration, right? It's, it's more, it has to do with weight more than size. It's actually surprising how the, the, po the post office and DHL and all the other carrier don't seem to care so much about the size of the object, of the box. 
but rather the weight. The weight is very important. So lightweight stuff uh, are easier to sell. Now you also are featuring an Edo style toy maker, uh, mini miniature toys. How cool. Tell us about yeah. that. This guy, this Ojita, this old guy, he's uh, 70, what did he say, 75 now. And he's the last Edo toy. So he's not an Edo toy maker. Technically, he's the shop. And very often people just whiz by and they never see his shop, which is very tiny on Nakamise Street in front of Sensoji Temple in Asakusa in Tokyo. It's tiny. So everybody knows Nakamise Street. It's right in front of Sensoji. You've all seen photos of this. And most of the shops these days, I mean, not most, but like I would say 60 to 70% sell stuff mass produced coming from all over the world. Most of them coming from a big neighboring country, of course. And um, this guy, though, remained true to the you know, Edo-style toys. And these toys are tiny. And that's the craft. That's where the talent comes from. These toys, during the Edo period, um, people couldn't be ostentiously owning big stuff and show their wealth. But they still wanted to, in a way, show their wealth. So the clever thing that they did is everything had to be miniature, which is why Japanese people over uh, the centuries became very good at anything, you know, cute and kawaii is small. So these toys are tiny, 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 and the smaller, the more expensive it is. Some of the objects there were crazy expensive, and yet you know, they were the size of this. And um, he has the connection, of course, with all the people that create, make these uh, toys. And he's been in operation since, I don't know how many, I don't remember how many generations, but he took this from his father and grandfather before. And, um, and yeah, it's a fascinating story. And <clears throat> I don't know, maybe this guy either doesn't want to sell online or for his business model, it doesn't really make sense to sell these things online. Or maybe there is no demand, but he's never made the move to try to digitalize his business. Maybe for the better, I don't know. But it was just interesting to get to know him and we actually want to someday dig deeper into his life, uh, his craft, and, uh, and the history of his toy shop. And uh, what we, because we, we couldn't really include in our box such an expensive item, what we did is that he <clears throat> he has a collection of postcards that are representing Edo period uh, kabuki uh, characters. And so we took some of the postcards that are cheaper and uh, we included them in the, uh, in the box. Beautiful. Let's, let's talk about Kamakura because your, mm. one of your recent boxes was the Kamakura the box. One. Yeah. And you have uh, so many beautiful short videos on your Instagram. Yeah. as well as so many really cool local artisans from the area. Now, one of the things that people might find surprising is the coffee, mm. including the coffee. Tell us about mm. the coffee makers. The coffee maker, I think a lot of people that don't know Japan really well, don't know that Japan is actually in love with coffee. These days, more than tea. 
of course they do the tea really well, but coffee is really the thing, uh, a very, very fashionable thing to do, right? These days in Japan. And they have all these, what they call kisaten, old school coffee shop before, you know, coffee, uh, coffee shop chains take, took over. And uh, this guy runs a um, coffee kisaten shop uh, in Kitakamakura. So it's not Kamakura City itself, it's just one stop before that on the JR line. And um, yeah, it's a bell time coffee, that's what it's called. And he roasts his beans himself. And he has this old school roasting machine. And uh, I remember when he made, when he roasted the beans, it was very precise. It had to be, I don't remember exactly how many minutes and how many seconds, but it had to be. So he explained to us that in order to increase profits, the roasting industry these days, they try to roast as fast as possible, to roast, to make us, to produce as much coffee as possible. This is actually not that good for the quality of the flavor in the coffee. He said to us that you have to roast for a long time. And this is how, he's very proud of this. And he showed us with a microscope uh, he took a photo of the inside of the bean, and the longer you roast, the more you see some sort of beehive shape inside of the beans. You know, it's sort of, it inflates like this. And he says, this is where the quality of the coffee is, because the water goes inside of these beehive shaped inside of the bean, and then the flavor infuses and produces better quality coffee. So, yeah, Beltan coffee in Kitakamakura, super interesting. We didn't know the guy, we just stumbled upon him. And then we said, hey, this is really cool what you do. Very, you know, very iconic of the... We had a good time there and we said, why don't we include some of your coffee in the box? And surprisingly, he was very receptive to the idea. So he has... One thing that we find in Japan and we cannot find very easily outside of Japan is these individual filters that you put on your coffee cup so you can brew your own coffee without brewing for the whole family, right? And so what we did is that we included these filters and a set of three different roasts, and then we shipped them. Uh, we have a great comment from Kelly Kawaii, who of course yeah. has reviewed one of your boxes yes. so beautifully on her channel. She says, I agree. Not many people are aware how much Japan loves coffee. Hello, Axel. Thanks hello, for joining hello, Kelly. Kelly. <laughs> Kelly is a big coffee drinker as well, so I'm yeah. sure she enjoyed the coffee. I like how you, you had the coffee sachets, but you also had a beautiful cup that you yeah. included in the that's, Kamakura box. So that's not easy to do, uh, but we try as much as possible to curate objects that sort of make sense with each other. Um, we could have included the coffee on its own, but we thought, I mean, we of course everybody has a cup at home, but we were trying to find a way to, you know, make sense out of the objects. Uh, so we included a cup as well. Yeah. And you did some great, like, beautiful videos of you guys going around Kamakura. Tell mm. me about your philosophy about the travel videos going together with the, the box. Yeah, this is actually quite tricky. And we're thinking more, in, like, over since we started, things have evolved. And so we... We met last time, like, uh, nine months ago, and we, we've improved on our way of making videos. We're learning a lot about how people consume videos 
and how people consume the blogs that we sent to them. And over time, we realized that we couldn't really link these two together. Just because the box is, a, is an experience on its own, it's contained within the box, people receive the box, and we cannot really control <clears throat> when people are going to be watching the videos. This is impossible. Are they going to be watching the videos before they open the box, as they open the box, after they open the box? Are they going to be watching the videos at all? You know, we cannot include the videos inside of the box. So over time, we've learned that we need to separate those two. It just cannot be done together. It cannot be a set. So what we do now is that we run the channel on the side. And also, it allows us, you know, unlinking <clears throat> the box from the video allows us also to create content that is not necessarily related to the video. So to give you an example, in the last, well, in the coming box, we went to, Kamak, to Asakusa and we met with a rickshaw driver, pusher, I don't know how to push, pusher. And um, we really loved it. We really loved the experience. We said, we are in Asakusa. Everybody seems to be doing this. We're going to do it. We asked for permission to record the thing on video, and it turned out to be great. So much so that we said, it would be a waste, a shame, not to go further and ask them, could we uh, interview and follow you for a day and see what your life is about. And this rickshaw guy, young guy, 20 something years old, is actually very interesting because he's so in love with his um, work, his way of life, that he pushed his rickshaw, he's trying to push his rickshaw all around the world. So he has a, um, a YouTube channel as well and social media and you can follow him. Uh, and he's making videos of him going on, you know, the Forrest Gump route, 66, I think it is, in the U.S., with his rickshaw, pushing it all around, all across the U.S. And, uh, but it still works. Now, because of Corona, he cannot do it anymore. So he stays now in Asakusa. And so we followed him for a day. And that was extremely interesting. It's going to come out probably, our video will come out probably next month, when we're going to be finishing editing it. And what we realized is that <clears throat> it's a fascinating uh, industry, these um, rickshaw people. Because when I first came to Japan and when I saw them as a, as a customer or just someone ob observing them in Asakusa, I thought these are just like um, college students who just wanted to make some money on the side. But no, it's a, uh, and these people are really into it. And some of them do this, maybe not their whole lives because they're gonna get too old for that at some point, but they really, do this for years and years, and there's a whole community around it. And they have their Jordan-san, their uh, usual customers that come back, sometimes more than once a week, to enjoy 20 minutes with them running around on the rickshaw. And That's... then they have social media, yeah. and people follow them on social media. And then there's some sort of, I wouldn't say necessarily like, um, like a ranking, but you know how Japanese people are, with like, uh, for example, um, <clears throat> the, um, how is it called? The kabak Kabakura. And you know, you have the, all the hosts, and then the host is yes, the number one host, number two host, and they're trying to compete to know who's the most fashionable and uh, the most, uh, the best paid uh, host. It's kind of the same with this industry of uh, rickshaw. They're all competing with, to, with each other 
to know who's the number one sales, number one, uh, you know, it's fascinating. Yeah, that's so interesting. As mm. Sarah from Facebook says, ooh, look forward to seeing that. Thanks, Sarah. Yeah, it's uh, super interesting. Yeah, let's let's go back to Kamakura. And uh, I, I love the idea of the rickshaw drivers of finding young people who are enthusiastic about different parts of travel in terms of the future of travel. But yeah. you, you also, through your videos and through the boxes, <coughs> are supporting kind of an artisan industry like the postcard yeah. hand printmaker yes. Yes. Yes, that yes. maybe will not be around much, much longer, longer, right? Yes, yes. So it's well, really rare. So this is Saito-san. Saito-san is also a good example of someone we're going to try to support as much as we can. He's also quite old, 70-something. Uh, and um, he's a traditional... He owns a traditional printing press in uh, Kamakura. Actually, not Kamakura itself. Forgotten the name of the city. It's just next to Kamakura. But it's Kanagawa Prefecture as well. It's not far away from Kamakura. Only a couple of steps away. And um, his craft is going to disappear, I think, at some point very soon, within 10 or 20 years for sure. There's not going to be any of those printers anymore unless we do something about it. Unless they change their way of seeing the industry. Um, the problem with Saito-san is that he's, he hasn't really, his business hasn't evolved since the day he started in Showa Jidai, you know, in the 60s or 50s, maybe 60s, that's yeah, 60s. <clears throat> and what happens is that, of course, computers arrived, new ways of printing stuff, things changed around him, but he didn't really catch up with any of this. And it's not that <clears throat> the computers have to go inside of his uh, business. It's just that his business needs to shift away from mass, pr mass printed things and be more focused on, a, on customers who can appreciate the fact that these are made by hand. He's literally taking each and every piece of paper each and every meshi name card, he's going to take them, he's going to try, trial and error, until he gets the right amount of ink, the right positioning of each letter. And in the end, slightly, ever so slightly, each name card will, will be a little bit different. So they're all going to be unique. And this is what makes it very special. And so what we're going to try to do, just like we're going to try to do with the um, lantern maker, is that we're going to try to have him on this platform where it's going to be made to order. People can order, not necessarily the name card, but like, um, you know, like... Uh, like Cards or... Exactly. Uh -huh. New Year's card or, you know, when you invite people for your wedding. I don't, I don't remember the name for it in English, but like, you know, these kind of uh, cards and um, he can personalize them made out of washi paper very good quality traditional uh, Japanese washi paper. So that's what we're going to try to do as well. Yeah. Gorgeous. Um, in Kamakura as well, you also uh, feature a lacquer maker making chopsticks and different lacquerware. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> lacquerware, it's it's more difficult because it's a bit more pricey and it's more difficult to um, to personalize. 
what we can try to do, and we've, we've been thinking, researching a little bit more about this, we're going to try to <clears throat> have people engraving people's names on chopsticks or on different sort of uh, lacquerware and to try to have, uh, once again, made-to-order personalized items. But we're going to try as well to do that, yeah. In your video on Instagram about this product, uh, you say it takes about a month to do the wood carving and then the lacquering. And uh, yeah. so the process is very long, yeah. Because it's so labor intensive, of course, yeah. the price would also yeah. be higher, right? Yeah, yeah. But all of these things, which is why <clears throat> we need to offer these on a different website uh, than Pico Pico Box, because Pico Pico Box and Pico Pico, we also have like, actually, we, we have a a shop now and people can buy items individually outside of the whole box concept but the price is a sort of in the price range range where it's still reasonable I would say but because these articles these items will be so uh, labor-intensive and made to order and specially specially made for you it's gonna be more expensive so it's gonna be on its own yeah, yeah. Um, Kelly has made a beautiful comment. She says, I would love to see his business get more awareness and support. My heart broke watching this story. I think about the printing. Yeah, it's, his story is heartbreaking. We went back, I think a week ago, to interview him a little bit more, to see how we can work together on creating these uh, postcards, uh, order made, made to order postcards. And it turns out that, you know, it's a pretty old couple and his wife has a serious uh, health condition and she couldn't meet us. She stays in bed the whole day. That's uh, it's pretty um, heartbreaking. It's really hard. But um, his in, attitude towards yeah. this, you know, is actually, it's very Japanese in a way. He's, um, he's never showing, I don't know how to say this, but he's always smiling. And he's always taking the good side of things. And, uh, you know, he keeps on doing it. He has a little garden. And he keeps on, you know, making his, his own veggies. And, you know, a lot of things are going bad for him in his life. And yet, you know, show must go on, you know. That's amazing. That power of resilience you yes. often see in Japan. Yes. It's, it's really inspiring. It uh, is. You also feature a young guy making kinako or taco senbei, yeah. is it? Yeah, he's, he's not actually making them. So this is like a small business. Very, I think they have maybe two or three uh, shops around uh, the area. And uh, yeah, this guy is he's just the guy who sells them. But behind there's a whole production. Yeah. And what he's very good at is cutting them though. Yeah. And then also in the box is a hato. It looks hato, like a Ukiji. fortune. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's, uh, we try to work also <clears throat> not just with artisans, but also artists. Um, so this is, uh, this is a shop that's located at the very entrance of the main street of, Kam of Kamakura. And they have a whole collection of items. And uh, the lady who's in charge of designing the items is, is an artist. And this is a very small, <clears throat> good fortune uh, dove, pigeon sort of thing. And that is because <clears throat> in the main shrine of Kamakura, it is said that the divine spirit, the kami, was guided by pigeons. So if you look at the main gate 
of this shrine at the top is engraved to pigeons. So that's why the symbol is pigeon. Yes. And so when you open it, there is a good fortune in it. In it. Very nice. Uh, sometimes that's always surprising to me, even for children's fortunes. Sometimes you can get bad fortune. Mm. <laughs> so but not in this one. Not in this one. Okay. Not in this one. Because I, this, I would, I would yeah. be very upset if yes. I ordered it from Japan, and it came, and I had a bad fortune. That you would, made sure that would be depressing. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Good. 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 Actually, we call it uh, good fortune, but actually. It's not really a fortune. It's more like, um, you know, kotowaza, more like a proverb, just something to enlighten you, you know. Something to inspire you. To inspire so, you, yes. yeah. Lovely. I love it. Um, now, we should mention that all of your boxes that you're doing is about a $50 price point. That must be hard to do. That's correct. Actually, if you, it's very difficult to do. It's it's a challenge. But if you order more, uh, we have this plan where the more you order, uh, the lower the price goes per box. But yeah, it's very difficult to do. So um, we wish sometimes <clears throat> we go on location and we see amazing things, and sometimes we just have to say no, uh, even though we wish we could put them in the boxes. So that's why we have the shop on the side, so that we can at least you know pr um, showcase things that are a little bit pricier because sometimes it's very difficult to put things in a box that is 50 US dollars here. And then I also should mention to our audience in case they didn't know you do a giveaway as well. Sometimes. Yeah. yeah that happens. Yeah. Amazing. So yeah. you have like a giveaway daruma or a giveaway box sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. people should follow your Instagram and check out the giveaways as well as the boxes, right? Yes, yes. Tell me about the Daruma and the, I love this, the temple book that you can ah, get, the yep. Goshuincho. Goshuincho. This was an idea that we had originally to try to include a Goshuin in each box. But we realized that we were fighting against, at some point we started to fight against um, the spiritual, not spiritual, um, the um, uh, religious aspect of the item. Whether it was on the customer side, sometimes people are not religious, so they don't really want to have a religious item in the in the box. Or on the provider side of things. So temples in Japan were not really um, welcoming the idea of sending these calligraphy, which represent the calligraphy that you get when you go on site. <clears throat> because for them it's a way to get customers, to get customers, to get believers to go to their temples or their shrine. It's like a, like a gift that you can only get when you go there. So that you have to go there and you have to pray there. So you have to buy the item there. Some temples, so we did that with the first one. Some temples were more aware of the current condition uh, situation with the COVID-19 and the fact that people couldn't travel anymore. And so they were willing to e-commerce their religion, I would say, or religious items. But a lot of them were not, so it became too complicated. So we, we sort of gave up on that idea, but we still 
thanks to this, we met with this lady who creates this beautiful Gosherin show, which is the book in which you're supposed to collect those calligraphies from each temple. And it's a book that opens like uh, folded like this, you know, like an uh, old style book. And it's all made out of washi paper. And the lady who produces them is actually in, uh, in Kyoto. And she makes them. And we, we tried it ourselves. Actually, when there used to be tourists coming to Kyoto, it, it, it was an experience that you could do with her. You would pay her a certain amount of money. And you could do your own washi paper and your own goshirincho. Uh, so that was pretty cool. So we met with her. And the good thing is that we also support her now. Because, because of this, we discovered this lady. And we include a beautiful uh, book in the new box that uh, we have. Uh, and it's a beautiful washi paper book with uh, the cover is also uh, beautiful. It's, um, yes, it's a wonderful item. It's, uh, we're glad we found this lady. Sounds great. It sounds like a great way to provide a high quality item for people abroad, but also to support the local businesses. And that's like a core concept of why you're doing that's it, the, right? That is the core concept. The idea is to help everybody and make everybody happy. Yeah. And to also have a business that's sustaining yeah. during coronavirus, especially, yes, right? Also. Yes, also. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, if people yeah. want to know more about this particular item that I was talking about, it is actually in the new box that sold out in one day. So apart from the boxes that are themed around locations, we started to create boxes that are themed around particular interests. And we realized that people love Japanese stationery. And, <clears throat> and of course, they should because there's a lot of komakai, kawaii, small things, detailed stuff. And if you look on our website in the shop, there's the stationery box that we created, which is a little bit pricier, but only a little bit, you know, 55 US dollars. And we include that book in there, along with other items that come from very small brands that we curate, that we find them. And, um, um, let's talk about reviews a little bit for people that have ordered your box. So Kelly is watching and she did a beautiful review um, of opening the box for you guys. And she mentions as she's opening that she really appreciates how sustainable it is, that there's very little plastic, everything is packaged so beautifully. Um, you also had a, a really nice review uh, this is from Kelly saying it's so wonderful to uh, receive these omiyage, so Japanese souvenirs. Um, it's impossible to travel right now, so it's a nice way to travel virtually or travel and support local artisans. Have you you found this kind of response from most of your customers? Yeah, I would say 99%. There is 1% of customers that really didn't uh, do the homework of trying to understand what what we were doing and but that, that's very rare and then these customers don't really get it so they they, they don't really understand what the, what the interest of the item is but most of the customers 99% are thoroughly enjoying the experience with us they do understand that they don't just buy stuff from Japan it's not just a consumerist, consumerist sort of idea. They also buy an experience. Thanks to the videos, but also thanks to the little booklet that we include every time with beautiful photos and the, uh, and the stories of each 
hide them behind it inside of the box. And the packaging, of course, is beautifully made by my wife, actually. My wife works with me, and thank God she does. You know, she's the, the Japanese side of the, of the business, and she does a tremendous good job at packaging everything. She's the one responsible. Uh, her little hands are packing hundreds and hundreds of boxes. She's getting sort of tired of packing hundreds and hundreds of boxes every time, but she's doing it really well. And she's very, and she's very Japanese. She used to be a graphic designer. Uh, she used to be employed by a big company as a graphic designer. And she's very, very good at all these things. I'm not very good at that. She's very, very good at these things, you know, designing stuff, choosing the right colors. Every box comes with a different color, different wrapping paper, a different um, Mizuhiki. I think it's called Mizuhiki. Sort of forgot the name. But it's like, um, you know, like this sort of uh, lace. It's not a lace. What is it called? Oh, I forgot the word for it. But like, uh, it's, like it's like a craft. You know Mizuhiki? Do you know Mizuhiki? Is it like a coaster that goes under the cup? No. Mizuhiki. Water kitchen something. You know, like, for example, no, no, actually, no, 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 it's not Mizu like water. <laughs> actually, it is Mizu like water, is sorry. Okay. You know, sometimes when you receive, and, oh, you must have seen them at the 7-Eleven, you have these envelopes in which you put, uh, hun- uh, you know, 10,000 note bills to give as a gift. Yes, But yes. it comes with a beautiful... Uh, like a sticker? A seal? It's it's a seal. It's okay. a seal, but it, it's made out of threads. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Uh, I yeah. have one. I have one right here. Um, somebody who I did a kimono trio and they made it. Is it like that? There you go. There you go. There you go. That's a Mizuhiki. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's a Mizuhiki. Correct. Okay. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, Kelly says this is definitely the most unique box I've subscribed to. I love that it gives me an experience. And the YouTube videos that go with it are so great. And this is in another uh, review as well. Uh, let's see, let's bring it up from Jamie. It's yeah. the next best thing to being there. Yeah, Jamie and Kaylee are our two best supporters. They, start, they, they were with us from the beginning. They are with us from the beginning. They are the number one. We have about, let me see, we have about 20 more minutes. Let's talk about what projects you're working on now um, that you're getting excited about. What's what's coming up? You said something's coming May 1st. So May 1st will be the Asakusa box. Uh, and then the projects that we're working on now that we are very excited about. The first one is increasing the amount of products that we put on our shop and not just the, within the boxes. So trying to work more with local small brands, uh, designers, uh, artisans <clears throat> that produces items that are not too expensive, but very, very Japanese and um, very local. And then the next uh, project that we really want to try to lift off the ground is this sort of um, website platform on which local Japanese artisans will be able to provide their services for unique, personalized, uh, made-to-order items. 
such as the Linton, Linton painter, um, Mr. Saito and his uh, uh, printing press, and all sorts of uh, all sorts of other items that we're thinking about. Also, you were doing like some cooking videos. Are you doing any online like cooking classes or anything? No, no, we're not. But that's actually this was um, this was for a different project uh, for another company. We also trying to provide um, uh, like a production company, video making company, uh, content producing company for um, businesses, and this this was a one off. We wanted to see if this could work. Uh, it turns out that actually I'm very happy with the results, but we, we, we really want to use this as a way to promote what we can do to you know, bigger corporations out there who would be interested, for example, in uh, hiring our services to, to produce videos for them. Mm. Looks looks like a lot of fun, and it the, was very fun. the video quality that you guys are doing, like the Kamakura video, the cooking video, it's all really high quality. Who's your videographer? So it's for for producing these videos. It's a collaborate collaborative effort. We have um, we have we are lucky enough that I have another company called iExplore, and we used to provide photography workshops to people coming from outside of Japan and we would teach them photography in Tokyo or Kyoto and uh, in Osaka. This came to a stop with once again the current COVID-19 crisis and so we also trying to shift this business away from this business model to a more like I said um, content creation uh, production video production company so my partner in the business, Lukas Palka, and myself, we create those videos. And then we have also, um, we are being helped with an editor uh, who's in France, and a lovely lady who's very good at editing videos. And yeah, so it's a, it's a team effort. We do that all together. That's great. Because uh, the other partner in the business, uh, Aline, who is working with me at Kokoro, and my wife as well, they're working on the um, subtitles and also uh, and the text and the story storyboard everything. Yeah, wonderful. I notice Eileen is also writing a lot of content on the website, like blog style. Yes, she is. She's uh, she's the writer of the of the company, yeah. and she's also in charge of um, uh, social media. So very often when everything that we post. She's the one in charge of that. Yeah. yeah, that's great. So what is, you're a travel veteran. You've been in the travel industry for mm. many years. What, what is happening with the, the concept of the future of travel? What mm -hmm. will post-COVID travel look like in Japan? Or what should it look like? What would you like it to look like? I like it to look like something. First of all, because uh, you know this has been going on for a year. Obviously, it's going to be two years without any, you know, hope for travel to Japan. And I have a feeling, you know, when I walk down the streets here in Kyoto, I have a feeling that people are not really ready yet to welcome 
uh, foreign travelers. For like this has this has scarred this has scarred um, the psyche of Japanese people, I think, for a while. So I'm not sure, you know. I'm not quite sure. I'm not very, to be honest with you, I'm not very optimistic. Uh, so I just want, I think, in a very, like if I analyze things and I look, you know, coldly at things, I think that people who will be able to afford coming to Japan uh, in, a, in a close, in a near future will be people with means, you know. I think that um, for probably the near future, mass tourism is not something that we should worry about uh, anytime soon. So what's going to happen is that only the people that really like Japan, so they really want, they're really willing to invest a big portion of their budget for travel, to travel to Japan, or people that just have so much money that they don't care uh, and that can afford to come to Japan, will be coming to Japan. So I think these are the two kinds of um, customers that we will be seeing in Japan uh, as far as, com as tourism is concerned. People that are really willing to come to Japan, so Japan lovers, and people that have just a lot of money so they can do whatever they want. In, so in a way, in terms of sustainability, hopefully that's that's for the better. People, I think it's for the better. people really choosing how they want to travel. Yes. Hopefully, slower, more yeah. meaningful travel. Yeah. Meaning, yeah. Which, which we talked about last, we talked about time, last right? time. Yeah. I think, I think people will seek for meaningful travel, um, meaningful experiences, because up until. 2019, it became obvious that to me, working in this industry, seeing how people were traveling around the country, people didn't even spend time enjoying their travel anymore. So that's, that was kind of concerning. And that was the concern that we were all ending up having before COVID, which was, where is this going? This, this is a circus. People going everywhere, anywhere, anytime, not even you know, spending two days only in Tokyo and not taking the time to do anything and trying to do it all, trying to reproduce what they've seen on Instagram, hitting the spots, uh, going on, a, on this. It, it was almost like a rat race of travel. I think this is coming to an end for the good, for the better. Uh, what's coming next? I'm not quite sure. I hope, like I'm sure you do hope, that it's going to be for the better, for a more meaningful, uh, sustainable uh, form of tourism. But this remains to be seen. Um, we have no idea. Because <clears throat> there are also concerns with, with regards to how the government will be regulating these things. I remember last year, at some point, the government or in the media, they were announcing things that actually made me sort of step back and reconsider what was going to happen because they were announcing that they would only allow bus tourism. You know, at some point, I, I, I can find this back, but at some point they were sort of guessing that the only kind of tourism that could happen 
post-COVID was the kind of tourism in groups where people are all shoved into buses because they were, this kind of tourism would be easier to control. We would know where the tourists would go from point A to point B. They wouldn't mingle with the local population so much. This is something that they were planning. Because it sounds like indeed, the last thing you should be doing during coronavirus, right? I, I actually think it makes sense in a way. When you think about it in the, um, in the mindset of the people who write down these rules, it makes sense because then they can have total control over, they can trace really easily where people are going and who people are interacting with. If you have someone coming on their own, renting a car, going all over Japan, and, you know, interacting with communities that have, for example, like in, I think, Tottori, where they've never had any COVID case, it's more risky, you know. Most likely, people are going to be traced. I mean, let's, let's face it, I'm pretty sure they're going to, you know, have well, something on Well, in a really phones. interesting development, uh, most mm. people coming from abroad, once mm. inbound resumes, will be vaccinated. Compared to the Japanese population, we are much slower yeah. for vaccinations. So it seems less of a danger for the inbound traveling than for domestic tourism traveling before the vaccines are out. Um, the go-to campaign, I'm glad they put that on hold again. They were about think, to start it again. But I know it was a good support for a lot of rural areas, hotels or ryokans. It's really tricky, right, to know how to The, pro the problem you say is that what you say is very logical. If you look at it in a very rational uh, mind, it's very logical. But I don't think that this has to, anything to do with logic. People are very irrational with these decisions. And especially the general public in Japan. So... Especially now that we call these variants, you know, English, you know, British variant, uh, yeah. South African variant. In their minds, the danger is coming from outside. Yeah. You know, yeah, it, yeah. It just doesn't compute for them that the virus doesn't discriminate this way. That's true. So, yeah. so it, now, now you know, the last, very rational. The last time we talked, you mentioned that you were starting to kind of get more domestic customers, even for the Peko Peko box. Um, have you had any more people ordering from within Japan or not really? Not, not really, not really. We have maybe some people ordered from Japan for their friends or I families see. outside of Japan. But no, I, I don't think that this is something uh, that uh, people within Japan are considering. Yeah. Have you ever, I, I wonder if, um, like you do the videos that go together with the box to extend mm. the experience. Um, did you ever do like a live stream video with the customers and the, the artisans together? We are thinking about this. This is also something that uh, we could end up doing uh, at some point. It is just that there's so much to do. Yeah. You see. So little time in one day. And we are such a small team now, especially after, after the, the crisis. We had to let go most of our people. So it's... It's something that we wish we do, we could do uh, quickly, but to put it in place, to get organized, it's very difficult. Yeah. Eventually, about, we will do it. Yeah. How about for domestic tourism? Because your uh, travel, slow travel tour uh, site can yeah. can do domestic tourism into rural areas and stuff. Or have you put on hold the travel site as well? We 
<coughs> sorry, we've we've really put on hold the travel side um, because I don't think we would be able to really target the the, the local uh, local business, so the local population. So we've put it on hold. The other thing that we've tried to do with the other business I explore is that uh, you know Amazon has tried to create Amazon experiences. I think they're doing it um, relatively well. And so we've tried to do these experiences where we go with a with a phone and a gimbal and we try to give the experience uh, remotely. It's not really a viable business model, in my opinion, because first of all, people are not really in, willing to pay so much for these kind of experiences. And it's, let's face it, no matter how much the technology improves over the improved over the last couple of years it's never the same thing as actually being there yeah. and having the full experience of being in Japan where you can actually see for yourself smell you know everything around you taste the food it's never going to be the same never. Yeah. so people are not willing to invest that much money and we realized this by doing this ourselves the experience was sort of a, what they say in Japan chuto hampa it's not really it's trying to get there, but not it's, it's not really there. Not here nor there. Yeah, it's not yeah. here nor there, you know. <laughs> so people are trying to enjoy our experience with the computer, but we know that once they look around, it's their boring room, you know. So it doesn't really work. Yeah. It's, I, I hadn't heard of that, Amazon experiences. I knew because Airbnb experiences, there's a bunch of companies doing like virtual yep. engagement, virtual tours. Yeah. Um, but you're right, it's there's a limit. And then there's a lot of stuff for free. So people mm. think, well, why should I pay for something yeah. I can get for free, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, some things might, uh, this might apply better for other things. So for example, cooking class, a cooking class, if it's done well, if you receive the ingredients beforehand and it's well prepared, I guess I can see this happening where you have the computer in your kitchen and you have a live experience with an actual chef on the other side. I think especially those live experiences will only really work well if it's on a one-on-one -on -one basis. And I think this is what Amazon Experiences is trying to do. They're not available in Japan yet, but they are available in the US. This is all in the... In, the, in its infancy, um, but the live experiences where you know hundreds of people can join at the same time, that people are not willing to really put money for this, yeah. or very little. Once uh, domestic tourism resumes a little bit, would you be able to put people in touch with some of the artisans you work with to set Probably. up a, like a workshop if they can get there, or is that difficult now? I would say it, it's it's not about the difficulty of getting there. It's the difficulty of convincing these people and, and organizing and putting the whole thing together. So I'm thinking, let's think about, for example, the, um, the lantern maker, a workshop, a uh, uh, lantern painter, a workshop that involves painting on a lantern. I mean, I can see this happening, but it would be very difficult to put in place, to yeah. organize. There would need to be a translator there. Yeah. Uh, it, it would be a mess. 
Plus, um, he's he's practiced for so many years. Thirty years. It's it's not like you can yeah. learn it no. in thirty minutes, right? No, no, you cannot do that. You cannot it's a do that. bit of a problem. It's a um, bit of a problem. But but I love all of these connections and networks that you're creating mm. around mm. Japan in mm. so many different areas of these kind of dying arts. Mm. Um, mm. That you're perpetuating and you're documenting mm. Mm. and you're doing the interviews. Yeah. So that that in itself is very valuable. Yeah, we were, I was thinking with my partner in the, in the Expo business, Lukash, we were thinking about maybe creating a series of videos and maybe the title could be like Legacy because all these people really have a legacy. They have something to teach to us. They went through a lot and they really put a lot of heart into... They, they devoted their lives to whatever it is that they do. And I think that this is something that more and more we're sort of losing. Uh, people change jobs like this, bam, bam, bam. They're just you know, changing all the time. But these people, um, I don't know. Maybe they, I don't know if they're all going to disappear, if this style of life is disappearing. No, no. Just yesterday, we were creating a video for a, uh, a bigger corporation. And we were interviewing a geisha here in Kyoto. And I see their lives and I really wonder, is this way of life going to disappear? Not just a geisha, but just this way of life where you say from a very young age, this is what I'm gonna be doing and I'm going to be doing only that and I'm going to be the best at it, no matter what over the course of my entire life. And it starts from 16 years old. Sorry, very, very young, you know. I guess this is a kind of, um, yeah, it's something that's fading away. So we want to try to document it, yeah. to preserve it. Well, you're doing it so beautifully. So Netflix or big company, if you're watching, I would <laughs> love to watch a series done by Axel's company. So please get in touch. <laughs> No, seriously, yeah. like mm. if you were combining these into kind of a series that people yeah. would pay a subscription to watch yeah. um, because you have the media company, it's not a bad idea. Mm. It's, uh, it's very tricky to reach to uh, the level of uh, Netflix, but yeah, it, it would be interesting. Yeah. yeah, well, wonderful. Thank you for everything you're doing. And I know it's a really frustrating time still to continue what you're doing so uh fingers crossed we can start mm. getting vaccinated and moving mm. forward back into travel a little bit but i'm i'm really excited to see what you'll come up with using mm. all of these great connections and documents that you've done documentaries yeah wonderful thank you very much thank you so much axel thank you joy thank you everybody for watching today and for your wonderful comments uh, tomorrow, 6 a.m. Japan time. <laughs> I'm talking wow. with Jeff Asgard about his travel company, and he's based in the U.S. So we're uh, doing a very early live stream tomorrow morning. If you're up, please join us. Yeah. Thank you so much, Axel. Take care, Thank everyone. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. If you want to learn more about the work that I do, have a look at inboundambassador.com. You can also sponsor the work that I'm doing on the YouTube channel, Patreon, buy me a coffee, 
coffee or haps. Have a great day.